0: Japan by River Cruise is made possible thanks to those who donate to the show at japanbyrivercruise.com and to the generosity of our corporate sponsors. This week's message is from Nothing Incorporated.
1: Nothing. Try doing it for just 15 minutes a day. Put down your phone. Turn off your TV or computer. Stop thinking about the things you have to get done. And just do nothing. Spend some time with us doing a little bit of nothing every day this week. Trust us, it's very good for you. We can help. Follow us on Twitter where we tweet tips on dealing with social media addiction and subscribe to our YouTube channel for over 400 hours of content on how to reclaim your time away from screens. Don't forget to turn that notification button on so you don't miss any of our thrice daily live broadcasts. We also have a meditation timer app that's on sale at the moment. So use that because it's got way more zen built in than the one your phone came with and nicer graphics. Nothing incorporated. Switch off. Then switch back on and pay us money. Then switch off.
0: Hello, Brian, and welcome back to Japan by River Cruise. I'm Bobby Judo. And I'm Ollie Horn. And that's it this week. It's just us. And that's the first time that this has happened since May of 2020, which is when we were chosen as the Japanese River Cruise Association's official podcast and have just been flooded, pun intended, with messages from people asking to be guests on the show ever since. So, Ollie. Why did we go out of our way to turn down the pile of people who wanted to talk to us this week? Well,
1: Bobby, it's because, as you know, I don't want the very important episode 97. The big 97! Oh, uh, we've been talking about this for decades. Ah, can't believe we, we don't made want, it. <laughs> we don't want this to be in any way undermined uh, by someone who's not utterly loyal to the mission. Uh, Also, additionally, and less importantly, we are recording this in the one single 90-minute gap I have this week, uh, where I've not been either standing on a stage or nursing scarily COVID-like symptoms. Not COVID, though.
0: So on this week's show, uh, we're going to do a slightly extended Soap Talk where we address what Ali just said. Uh, But because it's longer than usual, maybe for once we'll also get around to talking about something that's going on with me. I doubt that. We will also roast some recent Japanese news for you, and in our main section in honor of this, huge milestone number 97 we're going to do something a little special we are not going to complain about japan not only are we going to do something so out of character and get into some of the things that we love about life in japan but we're going to do something even more out of character and try not to include any japan cliches while we do so
1: uh, yes that's right as we talk about the land of the rising sun we're going to avoid uh, cliches
0: both traditional and modern. Plus, Ali's got your weekly River Cruise recommendation. Ali?
1: Yes, Bobby. Well, you've heard of the All You Can Drink Riverboat Tours, but have you heard of the All You Should Drink Riverboat Tours? They're brand new, where customers are seated according to an alcohol tolerance assessment, a mental health index, and a questionnaire about their relationship with their father. And then they're given an amount of alcohol calculated based on whatever their senpais at work feel like.
0: Also in industry news, Japan's oldest river cruise is about to take its final voyage, largely because the River Cruise Safety Commission refuses to renew its license, citing the extensive damage to the boat and the extreme likelihood that it could sink at any moment. We'll tell you about the planned send-off celebration where the owners are offering free tickets for the final voyage to anyone and everyone who saw women tweeting about the stabbings on the OdaQ line this month and felt the need to tweet back about how Japan is actually comparatively safe. More on that later, but first, Soap Talk.
1: Right, Bobby, this is a special extended episode for, I'm going to say it again, 97. How do you say that in Japanese, Bobby?
0: So nice, isn't it? Brian, any words of congratulations for this milestone episode? Might actually be a good show this week, guys. Thank you. Thank Hmm. you. Uh, Ali, are you Okay. (laughs)
1: that's been that's been the main correspondence we've got from listeners uh
0: (laughs) someone asked if you ever got medical treatment after you were bitten by a dog uh and you never responded because you've been so busy so i just replied with a gif of uh that kid shooting old yeller
1: right okay yeah also apparently i sounded really rough last week as well you sound worse uh... this week do i yep oh okay Well, uh, (laughs) that doesn't make me feel any better. Yeah, so um, I did. I went to the hospital to go and get my leg cleaned up. And uh, they said that because I'd been to Africa uh, in the past few years, it's likely that I would have got the vaccinations that I would have needed anyway. So they said, well, just keep an eye on your leg. And if it gets pussy, come back. And I'm very pleased to report exclusively for the listeners of Japan by River Cruise, (laughs) my inner thigh is not pussy. That's right. Sound the alarm. Uh, so my leg, my leg is basically healed now. Uh, that guy who, um, who, who was the rotter, um, he still has four Uniqlo shirts of mine. So I ordered four, what I call my show shirts. Um, I ordered four shirts to his um, apartment, and um, he, he still got them. And he's also got about four hundred pounds of my friend Leo's money. Uh, uh. He's not answering any, any calls. But uh, I said to Uniqlo, I haven't got my shirts, um, and uh, they, uh, they said right, what can we do about it? And I said, well, they were delivered to the house, but I haven't been given them. Uh, And it was delivered to my name. And uh, the, the Uniqlo were so badass, they were like, let's just see what the courier did with them. And they sent me a picture of the courier having delivered these shirts outside the house, left by a bin. And they said, the courier says they left it in a secure location. They've left it by a bin. We'll make a claim against them. So. That's the, that's the one small bit of good news uh, that Uniqlo gave me my, my money back for my shirts. Uh, but yeah, so all that stuff's basically water under a bridge. I've started my show at the Fringe uh, every day telling this, this story uh, of, of how I got, um, essentially, the way I've described it now is uh, the guy got really angry um, and started helping me pack my bags with his fists. And that's like the most euphemistic way I can describe of, of like what went. Yeah, like. yeah. And yeah, man, I mean, I'm going to say again, Tom, who who is a listener of Japan by River Cruise, he also came to my show, Pig in Japan, two years ago. So like one of my merch fridge magnets is on his fridge. It's very weird to like see that every morning. Uh, Like he couldn't, he just couldn't have been nicer uh, to me. But this festival, right? So a lot of people, I think, listening to this show know what the Edinburgh Fringe Festival is. It's the biggest arts festival in the world. This year, it's gone ahead. Last year, it didn't for the first time in something like 70 years. And uh, there's about 10 to 20% of the shows that there was um, two years ago. Normally the whole city just turns into into the festival. Every single venue. Anything which could plausibly be a venue. My friend Michelle De Swart, who now um, ha- has her own HBO show and, and, and was on a Netflix sitcom, two years ago did her solo stand-up comedy show in a literal sewer cabinet. Like a little area, a little outbuilding where the sewer drips down. They, like, purpose what? that into a 30-season venue. I know, right? Any, like, literally anything goes in Edinburgh in order to, like, get the number of shows, uh, the venues that they need. But this year is a lot more chilled festival. Far fewer people took the risk. Most people thought... So this year they're not canceled. using the
0: sewer cabinet?
1: This year the sewer cabinet is not a venue. It's uh, an
0: Airbnb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's basic. Yeah, well, <laughs> well yeah, well, that would be better than the Airbnb, which I uh, which I got. I, uh, Oh, man. I told you that that, uh, the main complaint I had about the Airbnb was that the ceiling was falling down. And he said, oh, don't worry. The house is due for demolition in a few weeks. Yeah. 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 Such a... Oh, man. Everything about the story is weird, isn't it? So anyway, far fewer shows this year. Far fewer comedians doing the full run, right? Doing the full 26 or 27 performances. Meaning that for the first time ever, I've come to this festival for five or six years. Basically, every one of my shows is selling out. Not because I'm good necessarily but because there's just a complete beggars can't be choosers well that's exactly that's basically it and you know while I'm there is a i check before i start each show i said who's you know who's like seen me do comedy before or who's heard of me or who's seen me do a spot on another show and has come like i check if there's some people that are genuinely there uh that aren't just there to like sit down in a warm place for an hour uh but yeah, generally speaking, this has been this has been mad. One comedian friend I've got who's in a much bigger room than I did. He took a much bigger gamble than I did. He's in a hundred and twenty seats of rooms, selling that out every single day at ten pounds a ticket uh, for the full run. Uh, he says this is the fringe where comedians for the first time will not lose money at the festival, uh, but will get a deposit for a mortgage. Um, I'm not quite that level of them. Um, of, of of mega bucks, but I'm very very grateful. Uh, but I'm having to work exceptionally hard because basically every comedian is is, is essentially dead. There's there's only about barely about forty or fifty comedians that that are here at the festival doing the full run, and we're all spoke and we're all on lots of shows. Right, we do our own solo shows. We also do compilation shows where like you know every comedian does ten minutes of their set, and you get to see five or six comedians. There's also game shows and panel shows. I host one called Not My Audience, which is a mm-hmm. lot of fun. Uh, we've done that in Japan. Uh, There's a show called Joke Thieves where you do comedy set swapping, you perform five minutes, then another comedian performs your five minutes uh, in their own voice and kind of, you know, rips it to pieces. So there's loads of these kind of format shows, there's uh, Hate and Live where you hate on things from a bucket, Uh, there's Best of the Scottish Festival, and basically, in normal times, it'd be really hard to get on these shows, and they're really useful to do, because if you perform well on one of these format or compilation shows, audience members like kind of discover you for the first time and they go, oh, we like that guy or we like that girl, can we get a flyer for your show, and then they go and watch your whole hour? And so, typically, you kind of have to to hustle to get on these shows, and they're not paid normally, or if they're paid, it's like expenses. Um, whereas this year, like basically everyone's dead. Uh, about I think I think this week I've had four comedians say they text me to say they'd got COVID. Make sure I get a test. I'm taking a test every day. Oh um, wow! F- five or six comedians are just completely sick through overwork. I'm doing five shows a day. I'm doing my extra solo show at midday. I'm doing my not my audience panel show at three. I'm doing my solo show at six. I'm hosting the Pick of the Fringe at seven thirty. I'm on Joke Thieves at nine. I host Hayton Live at ten, uh, and then I'm on a l- I'm on the late night Pick of the Fringe at midnight or. Uh, a format show. So I'm, my my schedule is just insane and I'm not just doing it because it's fun. Like I don't need to do all these spots because I've sold sold most of my tickets. I'm doing it because no one else is doing it. (laughs) Like there there are rooms full of people expecting a show and sometimes decisions about who's going to be on this show are made literally minutes before the show's about to start with frantic Facebook messages going, who can walk to the venue? Who is physically capable of standing up for 10 minutes and doing a set? It's absolutely unprecedented. I've never, I've never done anything like it. Well,
0: you, you don't sound like you are, like, currently right now, you don't sound healthy enough to stand up and do a full day of, of shows. Are you you sure that you don't have COVID? And also, how's the vaccination situation? Is everybody vaccinated?
1: Yes. So the rules are, if you've been vaccinated, which I have, then you're, and you get pinged by the COVID app, as long as you don't have symptoms, then, uh, then you're not expected to isolate. So I have been to a doctor and my symptoms are I'm waking up just feeling absolutely exhausted, right? And I just wake up with like a, you know, just unable to sleep. Um, But, and I have a bit of a cold, right? But the doctor said it's basically unlikely to be COVID. These symptoms are not consistent with COVID. And I'm taking tests every day, right? So that's also another way of knowing. Um, And I I got prescribed a course of antibiotics, which have helped, which shows that it probably wasn't viral. Um, whatever was going on with with my throat. So, no, I'm definitely not fit as a fiddle, but uh, you know this as a performer, the moment you start a show, uh, sometimes I'll be walking to a venue. In fact, I've I've fallen asleep in so many different places in this city now. Mm. Uh, And sometimes I'll be walking to my venue and, and I just think, why am I doing this? Again? In fact, the main, the, my soundtrack at this festival is Bo Burnham's uh, song from his new special, you know, where he goes, ladies, do you feel like shit? Tell me if you're feeling like shit, woo! That's basically been ringing through my head. I, I just feel awful, but something oh, magical Oh, you make your
0: mental soundtrack. I just, I mean, I know you, so I, I wasn't at all surprised by the <laughs> idea that you'd be using another <laughs> comedian's stuff to get laughs at <of> your shows. <laughs>
1: I'd plagiarize. Yeah. uh, No, I didn't do that. uh, No, but I, I, but there there is something amazing that happens where, you know, you're confronted with a room full of people who have in good faith bought tickets to see you and you just, you can't, you know, you just can't phone it in. Like my body's just not capable of of giving a half-assed performance. So anyway,
0: that's where I'm at. I have had weird experiences in the past where like, Well, I think when I first started out, I remember being so nervous that I'd get cotton mouth and it'd be more difficult to speak. But the more that I got used to it, I found an opposite effect where sometimes I'll have like a tickle in my throat or like I'll I'll even have like a slight cold and I'll be coughing. And as soon as the set starts, I no longer need to cough. And I don't know what it is. Mm. I don't know if there's like an adrenaline or, or something that gets released in your body that overrides the sickness for for the period that you need to be able to override it?
1: Yeah, well, uh, th- the way it was described to me was when you're waking up feeling like really drowsy and like groggy, or when you have a sore throat, it's your body's way of saying like, chill the fuck out, calm down, stop doing stuff. But when you override that and you're telling your body, I'm doing stuff, no matter what you tell me, I'm doing stuff. The body doesn't have the energy to go, you know, the body doesn't have the energy to, to continue to try and tell you to stop yeah, doing yeah.
0: stuff. It's the same phenomenon where like you, you have like, 20 days in a row of work and you bang out all those days and the second you have a day off after those 20 days you all of a sudden get sick.
1: Right exactly and without wanting to compare the frankly quite trivial job that I do to like mountain climbers you hear this right that when like someone gets stuck on a mountain and their hands trapped between a rock they only start experiencing the pain the moment that they've released themselves and got themselves to safety. Like, Like your body just knows that Pain is a response or or fatigue is a response that your body offers you because it's useful, because it reminds you to chill out or like your throat goes uh, husky. I'm not sure what the right word is, but, you know, your throat goes sore because it wants you to stop talking. But if if you're just going to tell it, I'm plowing on, I've got an hour of, of jokes to do. Then your body knows best to listen to your brain.
0: Hmm. Should, seems like it should be the other way around.
1: Yeah. Well, I've realised that a lot of my show's theme this year is about head versus body. I think if I've really thought about it, um, I got to, I got a review from um, Chortle, which is the the industry publication. Who are uh, the the guy that runs it, it has never really been a, a fan of my stuff, um, but he came to review it, and um, he gave it three and a half stars, which is actually a good review. Three stars is a recommended show. He, he's been giving a lot of two star reviews this year, uh, and uh, a couple of ones as well. And most of his reviews have been three stars. Mine's three and a half, which sets it apart. But it's not four stars. And why did he not give four stars? Uh, because in his review, he said something like, uh, this seems like it's a show uh, which is made up of a, a, a series of amusing and funny routines uh, that are disparate, <laughs> that have been stuck together to give an illusion of meaning. And it's like, Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's
1: exactly what. What do you expect? You don't need to be a professional comedy reviewer to know that's exactly well, that, what I'm thinking.
0: That also speaks to the kind of comedy that's expected at the Edinburgh Fringe. This this idea of this like British style hour, where you have to have a theme and a story and a narrative arc. Where I got so used to that, I got so used to like watching like James Acaster or, or uh, mm. even um, the guy that you brought to Japan, Steve Bougea. Like, people oh, yeah. like this who do these great crafted narrative arc hours with messages. And then I went back to watching, like, uh, an American comics hour-long Netflix stand-up, and I was like, this is just a bunch of stuff that's unrelated and funny. But that's well, exactly. fine. That's fine. Well, do you know what? I feel like I've missed a trick,
1: because there are two comics at this festival, both of which are my friends, who kind of stubbornly said at the start of their show, there isn't a theme. So uh, Darius Davies and Tom Little, both of which have shows for the full run this year, they both said at the beginning of the show, I'm just going to do my best stuff. You know, don't expect any broader meaning. And they both got reviewed really well because because <laughs> there was no expectation. Like Darius Davies' show was called Don't Be Shit. And he said, all I'm just going to do is just do all my best routines. And that's it. And I'm not even going to bother to pretend they're linked. And uh, so maybe I missed a trick. Maybe I should have, uh, you know, not, not tried to to sneak a theme in through uh through through covert means because obviously i got spotted
0: no one will ever be able to accuse us of being able to pass up uh a theme <laughs>
1: right yeah exactly yeah if you want to talk about fidelity to a ostensive theme uh, <laughs> then don't look at the rest of my of my broadcast over please shortall.co.uk Anyway, well, uh, I'm 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 glad that uh, that I've now shared a little bit of the behind the curtain with with the listeners because obviously the podcast has suffered by virtue of the fact that I sound different. Um, also, some Japan by River Cruise listeners have come to the show and it's great. Yeah, it's well, really, really nice. I like it. It's really really nice. I really appreciate that. And so, if you're someone that listens to the show and you're based in Scotland uh, or London, we oh yeah, we might be filming the show now. Uh, for a streaming service, which uh, that sounds ominous, doesn't it? It makes it sound like it's going to be Netflix or a big one. It isn't, uh, but uh, there's a chance that you can see the show in London again or somewhere around the UK, and maybe even one day, Bobby. One day, I could even go to Japan and do some comedy there. Wouldn't that be amazing?
0: That would be nice. If I could
1: get if I could go to Japan. Mm. Anyway, Bobby, uh, that's um, that's probably enough for me. I think that's probably all the time you have got for soap. Talk, it isn't
0: absolutely it? is. I just want to say. Um we did a (laughs) 20-minute soap talk and again again i like i mean if you're a a, like a relatively new listener like go back to the (laughs) earliest days of the show where i used to hammer on ollie for monopolizing the time constantly but i just want to say i've had like an insane year i've almost bought two houses that fell through at the last second that are crazy stories uh i finally just like the other day bought a house I've gotten jobs. I've lost jobs. I've had so. M- I've had COVID. I've had so much weird stuff happen to me. I I finished a ten year run of doing a cooking segment. I celebrated my ten year anniversary of being on TV. And at every point along the way, I have put these little notes in the script for soap talk to say, "Let's discuss this today," and we never ever get to it
1: right well you've painted me as the absolute bad guy there uh, no we... i mean
0: it's it's another theme for us i mean my my personal and professional life is the matt damon to your jimmy kimmel
1: i don't um i don't like american references <laughs> bobby shall we jump into the news the moscow times reports russian man swims to hokkaido to apply for asylum That's right, to reach Hokkaido, the man swam more than five times the distance of the swimming leg of the triathlon. But, given that he's Russian, officials suspect doping.
0: According to the Japan Times, the man was taken into custody by the police. And according to the Twitter quote tweet sharing that article, it is absolutely outrageous that the swimmer was exempted from the 14-day quarantine period.
1: Japan Today reports the man has asked for asylum in a country that is not Japan. Which bodes well for him, as Japan has a strong precedent of accepting refugees they don't actually have to accept. Nikkei Asia reports,
0: IOC's Bach lands in Tokyo for the Paralympics and is exempted from the three-day quarantine period. With anger still lingering over Bach's Ginza outing, violating the Olympic bubble, Japanese officials are doing damage control, claiming that when they said bubble, they meant that time when the rules didn't apply to rich people.
1: Barons reports, Japan crime boss sentenced to death for ordering murder. A Fukuoka court has sentenced Nomura Satoru to death for his involvement in a killing in 1998 and three related attacks, the latest in 2014. Nomura denounced the prosecution's case, saying that he could count the pieces of evidence against him on all of his missing fingers.
0: Indeed, the Japanese media corroborates that the conviction comes despite no direct evidence linking Nomura to the crimes. Authorities have yet to look into the existence of direct evidence of the relationship between the Yakuza and the Japanese media's opinion of the verdict.
1: The Nishinippon Shimbun says that after his sentencing, Nomura told the judge, You will regret this for the rest of your life. A line that will live on in infamy, but also in the screenplays of hundreds of shitty writers who think that the Yakuza are still culturally relevant. Okay, Bobby Judo. For this, the auspicious episode 97, bumper bonus edition. What is in the news this week? Nothing. (laughs) Hey, it's a big old week for news. There's just too much to sift through. So we're gonna take a step back. And we've realized that if if you're a casual listener to the podcast, there's a chance that you might think that we're not altogether pleased with Japan. And Bobby and I regret the fact that actually, we only ever bring on guests that have like something they want to improve about Japan, which is obviously fair enough, right? Everyone's got a mission, but that means that then we piggyback off that too and go, "Oh yeah, that's rubbish as well." But actually, there's loads of stuff about Japan we like.
0: I, I don't, I, I don't know if that's a fair assessment of the show. I mean, we we bring on people who have insight into social issues or political issues. It's, it doesn't necessarily mean that those people are out to improve Japan or that they don't enjoy Japan. It's just that. It's, you know, my 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 daughter asked me the other day, like, why do TV shows and movies always have bad guys? And it's like, because if they don't, they're boring. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's no... But that's yeah. my point,
1: right? We bring people on not to say, oh, tell us about a, a fantastic discount rug you found. Like, we, we, that's a weird example, but I do remember. But I, yeah, but, I do, a, but I do remember.
0: It's a super specific example. Did you find yeah, the yeah, rug, Yeah, 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 I oh, found me? a discount rug. <laughs>
1: um... <laughs> Yeah, but obviously we bring them on because they, you know, they've got uh, they, they've got something that they that they want to say, and that's normally uh, grounds for improvement. On the other hand, we definitely never want to be the podcast which is like, oh, Japan, this marvelous country, which is uh, you know full of like, well, I, fact, I, I can't even be bothered to run that thread. But you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? The, the, these YouTubers, yeah, yeah. That- we're
0: never gonna have an episode on Jidohanbaike or vending machines. Uh, Although I think we have had your one vending machine joke feature in like five or six episodes.
1: So uh, with that in mind, we thought we would reflect on some of the things that we think Japan should be praised for, but not necessarily uh, the things which always, always make the lists of like Japan praiseworthy things. Yeah
0: we're, we're, we're going to try to stay away from the kombini. we're going to try, try to stay away from the onsen, we're going to try to stay away from kaiten zushi or omotenashi nashi all, all of the stuff that has been done to death in other places, yeah. which I think is going to make for some interesting talk because I actually had to kind of sit down and think about what do I really enjoy about life here and what is it that is specific to Japan and not just not being in America?
1: Well, that's the point, right? When we were discussing this, I was thinking you know, what, what is it, because I lived in Japan for, for four or five years, and I, I was thinking, well, those, those years, for a lot of people, when they move to Japan, they often do so straight out of university, right? Very, very large proportion of people who move to Japan do so under the age of 25. And it, those formative years of your life, right, are, are full of such adventure and surprise and new experiences that doing them anywhere would be interesting and fun and stimulating. And mm. a- any environment that helps you, uh, you know, become an adult, any place where you're signing your first uh, rental contract or you know, buying your first car or you know, having your first serious long-term relationship, is gonna be a country that you're kind of grateful for. Um, so, so yeah, I was reflecting on what is it about specifically Japan uh, th- that I'm, I'm kind of fond of, rather than just living your life in a different country. Because something which I think is true for like quite smart people, I think a lot of our listeners are pretty smart people is, when you've got a brain that is just whirring at you know, a thousand revs per minute, living in a country like Japan or just living in a country where it's not your mother tongue means you've always got something to think about. If you're the kind of person who like you're kind of fidgety or you always want to be involved in some task or you always want to have your mind occupied by something, then just doing something as simple as getting cash out of an atm can be a like you know can put a little bit of friction in your day such that everyday yeah. feels like some there's, somewhat of a challenge
0: there's always this engagement which which can be very very motivating it can make you feel like you know every day you're winning little battles and experiencing victories right. uh, and also it can be very abrasive which is where you know cultural abrasion and culture shock yeah. comes in
1: but that's probably true for any country where you know the 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 country's main language is not your mother tongue, right? You know, you you'd right. feel that you'd feel the same if you went to France, um, and you had to go to a uh, distributeur automatique uh, rather than an ATM.
0: So now that our approach has been established, let's jump right in, and I'll ask Ali. Um, tell me about the discount rug. Um, well,
1: well, that, that was a good, that was a really good example. That I uh, one of the first times that I was like furnishing my apartment. Uh, the rug that I picked wasn't on like I didn't know it was on sale, but the the clerk from the like, the cash register said, "Are oh, you
0: actually going to tell me about the discount rug?"
1: Yeah, well, basically, yeah, okay. okay. So this is a, okay. So this is a, an example, right? This idea of like super proactive customer service that I genuinely don't think there are many people in Japan out to swindle you, and I can think of lots of other uh, countries where. Uh, you know, if you haven't been proactive in saying, oh, this is the thing I want and, and I'm going to use this discount, uh, then the, the person who's serving you doesn't care, isn't invested in your transaction enough to, to, to do it. But on multiple right. occasions, I've had store clerks be really proactive and try to get, you know, get you the best deal. Or, you know, if you're gonna use this point cards, don't use these points on this, use it on that. Uh, all right, let me ring this up separately to you. I'm gonna put this through as a separate transaction. And they just create this huge amount of admin for themselves to make sure that you're getting the best deal. And I don't, I just, I don't think that happens much in the UK.
0: Yeah, um, to, to a certain point, customer service and the pride that people take in customer service is on point, I mean, I had to, my, my MacBook broke today and I had to call the customer service center and the call center people are so by the book and polite and friendly that it kind of like, as an American, it makes me angry. I want it to be a combative experience. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and also like this, this idea that like, like, obviously Japan can be criticized for, this is the rule book, right? This is what the manual says. But generally speaking, if, you, if, you, if you've kind of done enough of these kind of things, like taking your laptop in for repair or your broadband's not working, you'll generally find people are very, very proactive in, in helping you find a solution to your problem. Something that I think I've noticed mm-hmm. a lot when speaking to call center people is, uh, and this might be, this might be uh, because my experience of speaking to people in call centers in the UK is, often they're serviced by people who are based outside the UK on a dedicated role right so depend if you call your bank you might get through to a call center in Ireland you might get through to a call center in the Philippines in India whereas in Japan it's almost exclusively a domestic call center because there just mm-hmm. aren't other countries where they can outsource this to and I think what that means is that there's fewer opportunities for you to speak to someone who isn't able to actually do something about your problem and I found that if you call up to say look I've got this issue right That person will take responsibility for you helping to solve that issue, even if they're not the actual person to, you know, to ultimately fix the problem. I've had it before where I've called up someone, spoken to them, explained my issue. They've passed me on to someone else. They've told me it's someone else to call. But they themselves have called me back and checked up on me to check that my issue was resolved, to, you know, to to check that. And that's part. I do think that's a kind of it's not customer service so much, but it's like this idea of of, of taking caring. responsibility yeah of caring i think yeah. that's the right way of putting it of caring
0: okay so uh, i i will say that that in japan a nation that has no tipping you will get better customer service in most places than you will in america a nation where the quality of the customer service determines how much that person gets paid but i'm worried that we're getting dangerously close to omotenashi territory right so I what else know is how to on you translate list?
1: that anyway mm. um Another thing that's on my list is uh, the fact that country takes cycling seriously. Uh, through Interesting. Spending, through spending time in Edinburgh, which isn't a very cycle-friendly city. They're trying to make it more cycle-friendly. Because I was thinking of either buying or renting a bike to get around the city. But instead I've been lazy and been taking taxis. Because uh, there aren't that many safe cycle lanes. But what I think about the commute that I used to do to university in my very first apartment. I was cycling for a good 25 minutes. Every single part of that journey was on a well-lit cycle path. There was bike stands everywhere. You could bike into the city center and you could uh, pay just 100 yen, so a dollar, to park your bike literally right in the city center underneath right, right. the main shopping precinct uh, all day. And, uh, you know, the fact that there's like compulsory bicycle registration means that if your bike gets nicked, you've got a higher chance of getting it back or there's less incentive for there to be a black market for second hand cycles. And I just think, generally, obviously, as a cyclist on the roads, not every road user is that considerate towards cyclists.
0: Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I, I've done the cycling around Japan show, and I've cycled in all different parts of Japan, um, and I feel like this is something that cyclists might have different opinions about, depending on where they live. Right. I do know that there is a huge push to support cycling tourism. And that a lot of these like famous uh cycling routes or even famous driving routes through Japan have dedicated uh bike lanes. Right. Um but I, I also know and like you said, they have bike stands everywhere, they have, you know, bike stations where you can pull up and, you know, pump air into your tires and refill your water bottles and do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So there is a lot of support for it. But I also know that I've seen a lot of people uh in Tokyo complaining online about um about drivers and drivers consideration for sure. cycling and cyclists and i know that one of the things that even just driving that drives me crazy is that it's totally okay in japan to just park in the middle of the left-hand lane
1: oh yeah 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 yeah, exactly yeah
0: so and then they open the time, they open the doors cycling, as well yeah. without checking so yeah, you yeah. could just be cycling that straight cycling course door. is is where they park yeah
1: all right well i'll accept that it's uh it's not an untempered praise but Particularly yeah. for Corker, particularly in the the suburbs to the city centre. Maybe you know interstate cycling is, is there's work to be done. Maybe Tokyo is still a mess. Then maybe just generally like general attitude towards cyclists by drivers can change. But, but I, I do and, think and how serious right, it's Japan taken. Japan is
0: better than other places.
1: Yeah, um, and 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 that and just the fact that the infrastructure is there meant that for me it was a no brainer to buy a cycle, and also it was really cheap as well. Uh, yeah, I was I was very very impressed. Okay, so that's um, that's something which I don't the, think is mentioned enough about Japan. They've taken the, cycling seriously for a long time, far yeah. far in advance of other European nations, which are often seen as bastions mm. of of, of uh, good cycling infrastructure. That practice.
0: bike registration thing is a big point too. I've never seen that anywhere else. Yeah, you're, you're required to fill out a form with your contact information and and register your ownership of a bike with an organization. Yeah, and if you
1: don't do that. Or either, if you don't do that, you can get in trouble. And if you sell your bike to someone else and don't hand the registration over, you can get in trouble as well. Which I think a lot of yeah. people get caught out on. Um, good, another thing, uh, which I think Japan- uh, Oh, you could ask me? Well, I thought we're gonna go through mine, then yours. <laughs> and, uh, unless we don't have time for <laughs> yours at the end. <laughs> um,
0: right well let's let's go let's go back and forth to make sure that that doesn't happen yeah. and also because um, my my top one on my list which might be a little bit um, mentioned in other places uh, and ties into this cycling one is the existence of Michinoeki roadside stations which a lot of times when you try to describe a Michi no Eki, um a roadside station to someone who's not in Japan they think you mean like a parking area on a highway and it's very very different Yeah. Um, a no Eki is uh, a combination rest stop, farmers market, restaurant, often onsen, often place to. So it's hard. It's hard to explain without making it sound like a parking lot. But well, they're. I mean, the, local
1: British people would would know this as a service station, right? Like, you you got to think of it as basically a gas station.
0: Right. There's no gas station at a
1: I get just let me just let me finish. <laughs> I was going to say it's basically a gas station as we have them, right? Like like the like on motorway service stations, but you can't get petrol, but you get everything else, and it's normally like it's normally run by locals, right? So it's not like chains. You don't go yeah, there and, yeah. and find a uh, you know a, a series of like whatever the, I'm trying to think of a good chain, like, or something like that, right? You'll basically never find them. It's always locally run restaurants and souvenirs and products, which are from local farmers. And normally, uh, like free sightseeing advice as well. It's pretty common. If you drive up, that there'll be someone there who will like talk through leaflets and and, and things to things to do. And, uh, they almost always put in like quite pretty locations as well, aren't they?
0: Well, yeah. This is, they're not off of a highway. They're very different from a service area or a service station in that, as you mentioned, they're locally run. They focus very heavily on uh, generating business for the local people. Local farmers come in every morning and set out their, their produce. It's not like a farmer's market that you'd see in America or, or in England where you've actually got like somebody there manning uh, a little booth, but it's a part of the local economy. It sells great stuff it's and they're in these beautiful beautiful areas of japan the Mm. out in these countryside roads these mountainside roads places where you you wouldn't expect to find you know a gas station let alone a, a fully stocked service area or service center
1: yeah and some of them have things like like showers and you know some of them even like yeah a,
0: a lot of times they'll have like an onsen attached to the machiya no mm. there's one in fukuoka in oto that's got a uh, ichioku and toilet which would be like a what like ichioku ends like 100 million dollars
1: yes yeah, yeah i know i i <laughs> did you report on this on i have
0: reported i've done like three different tv shows about this yeah um it's all like the the when you say a toilet, my first impression is that like it's actually just one toilet that they spent a hundred million dollars on. But when Japanese people say toide, they mean like the entire restroom facility area, yeah. and it's got a waterfall and a self-playing piano, and all of the facilities are made out of like super high-quality craftsmanship porcelain. Yeah, um, it's pretty pretty amazing.
1: So yeah, well worth checking out. If you, I'm, I'm pretty sure someone would have created a website with all of the Michi right? If that hasn't yeah. been a pet project to someone, then I'd be shocked. So, yeah, next time you're driving around Japan, uh, be sure to stop by. That sounds like I've just finished a report on the radio, doesn't it? <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly how next I how. Next time report.
0: you're driving around Japan. <laughs> be
1: sure to stop by. De wa.
0: Well, I mean, people do. People do plan their drives around, like, where they're going to stop at the Michi no Eki. mm yeah. And, and and it's kind of a this is another thing which like
1: kind of ties back to, to this idea of like not getting ripped off they're not a rip-off like when I think about um when when I think about certain kind of tourist uh guided oh, yeah, areas yeah, in the UK absolutely that too yeah exactly that like they infl- you know for that local produce that inflate the price they'll put it in different packaging these like they, they really are there as like a showcase for the region but yeah. also like there to serve their community first and foremost.
0: You get uh, like three pounds of eggplant for a dollar.
1: Right. Exactly. So
0: yeah. I think this is
1: another thing that like, that it's really, 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 really rare in Japan. And it definitely exists. I've seen it in Osaka. I've definitely seen some stuff in Kyoto where it, you, you are getting ripped off. There are certain restaurants where like they're, they're inflating yeah. the prices and they're it's, charging. It's a premium, an area it's so rare.
0: where there's so much foreign tourism it's not even just it rarely happens in areas that are heavily uh, visited by domestic tourists it's it's usually where there's a large concentration of both domestic and foreign tourists to the point where they know that there doesn't have to be any delivery of quality to the customer to ensure that they'll still have a revenue stream tomorrow
1: yeah right um well yeah but all... i like
0: i like that we're making this point that like it's geographically different. One of the um, little battles that I got into on Twitter last week was uh, was I, I tweeted that thing about how a lot of times I see all these Japan takes that frame things as Japan when they're Tokyo. Right. They're so specific to experiences certain in certain places, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't call out a couple of the actual tweets that I saw that I was responding to. One of them was about. Um, how people claim japan is so safe that you leave your like wallet and your phone on your table to reserve a table and someone was going that doesn't happen that would never happen no one would ever do that and i was like it happens all the time i mm. do that like yeah you couldn't say 100% that nobody would ever lift your stuff off your table but if you're out somewhere in japan that's not tokyo people do that all the time yeah and the other one the other one was um was something about Japan's excuses for blackface or Japan's excuses for the way they interact with black people. And everything that was written in the tweet was something that I absolutely agreed with, that Japan shouldn't be allowed to kind of make these excuses about, you know, oh, it's because it's Japan, oh, it's because it's an island nation, it's because they don't have this history. I've come out, like, on my own YouTube, all over the place in support of everything that this person was saying. But there was one line that said, Japanese people interact with black people every day. And I was like, "No, they don't." The vast majority <laughs> right. of Japanese people don't interact with black people at all, ever. Yeah, the vast
1: majority of Japanese people haven't met a black person in the same way they probably never met yeah. a white person. Like, they're just com- completely I- I immune yeah. from meeting people that that aren't Japanese. Look, I mean, if this you're is a...
0: not in a major metropolitan center. You just don't get that
1: exactly. And of course, we vastly underestimate the number of people who uh, who don't live in a major metropolitan center right, that, right. A, a lot of the japanese population is still living in uh, in really really rural towns that have a very very different way of life to the city life that most expatriates yeah. enjoy
0: which again to to be completely clear is not an excuse for racism and i was like totally on board with this tweet which is why i haven't said anything about it until now but it was just like that that like i feel like sometimes If there were those people out there who wanted to pick apart your argument, that's where they would go.
1: Yeah, right, 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 right. Well, is this also a good juncture to say that, like, it's obviously impossible to generalize? Like, if there were two Japanese people discussing life in the UK and they happened to be in Bristol rather than London or Birmingham rather than Manchester, obviously their their shape would would be different. Like, we we, (laughs) all...
0: I get this all the time. I get like a Japanese person who go, yeah, I've lived in America. I've lived in California for a while. People in America are in such great shape. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah. So we need to give that same caveat, don't we? The, you know, the, the the things that we're talking about, obviously me talking about the cycling, that's obviously because of Fukuoka, uh, you know, likewise, you know the 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 Michinoeki. I mean, you just don't really benefit from from those kind of that that kind of commitment to agriculture if you're living in central Tokyo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Should we go? Uh, should we go for another one? My, one of mine is um, there's there's food everywhere. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, and I don't mean this. I, I mean, obviously, I mean in terms of abundance. And as I'm getting older, I'm starting to wonder whether the all-you-can-eat buffet is actually a good thing. But for now, I'm still in favor of it. There's a lot of all-you-can-eat food, uh, which is very good. Uh, but I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that you can't ever really go hung- go hungry in Japan. Uh, because, like, th- there's always a small amount of food somewhere. I know this sounds really stupid, but, like, you almost can't do anything without someone offering you a little something. It's basically impossible to yeah, go yeah. somewhere without you being given a biscuit or a little sweet, or even if you just go for a pint of beer in a pub, what they call the izakaya, you're gonna get some edamame or like a little snack. Like, can you think of any any time in Japan where you've been more than four hours without someone either offering you or having very, very easily available a, a little bit of food?
0: Uh, so, so uh, no. One, no, but also, is this specific to Japan? Because I, I immediately go, like, anytime I've ever been in somebody's house, there's, like, a plate of of snacks on the table. And it's, like, a plate that they've explicitly prepared for that purpose. Like, they've got senbei, they've got manju, they've got some chocolate, they've got, like, a plate of snacks to go with the tea that they offer you. But yeah. But do people not offer something comparable in other countries
1: possibly but my theory is because there's this culture of gift giving that if you go to like a different prefecture even for a day for work you're supposed to come back with a box of like that prefecture's local chocolate biscuit or you know shiroi no koibito or something like that oh sorry shiroi koibito um then like just more people just have like an abundance of these snacks that they're ready to re-gift. so I think right. it's like the like this is the the second order effect of this culture of of receiving this stuff. you've got to pass it on. so it's just always always available. and when it, whether you go to someone's house, whether you go to an office like any law office I ever visited, there was always just an absolute abundance of food because people would just bring stuff into the office. I don't know. I think I think I just think you you never. You're never going to go hungry in Japan if you if you like go into enough people's homes or offices.
0: Yeah, I mean, maybe that's the maybe that's the solution to Japan's uh, unseen poverty problem. I mean, you do see like commercials on TV about uh, one in every so many Japanese children doesn't have enough to eat. Mm. There are homeless people. Maybe we should just be sending them into people's <laughs> homes and offices.
1: I right. Okay. So now now it seems like what I'm saying is flippant. No, now, you, now you've given this framing yeah obviously like these aren't full meals but yeah look generally you're never going to go hungry also, no no
0: i'm i don't i don't mean to disagree with you I, I do know what you're saying that that like at a job at an office there's yeah in a faculty room like there's yeah. a table up at front where they just leave they, they just leave, leave shit to snacks. eat snacks and
1: yeah. and if you're hungry and you haven't gone to one of these places for a dollar, you can always get something nice in a convenience store, yeah, which are yeah. everywhere. Now, obviously, we're not going to talk about convenience stores, blah, blah 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 blah, but
0: I mean, on the train, they come through with a cart with food. Uh, yeah, yeah, everywhere you're never never far away from the opportunity to to have something to eat.
1: Right. Well, anyway, that's my contribution. Food, Bobby. What's uh, what's your next one?
0: No drugs. Oh my God, there's no drugs, and and again. Um, this, this is a generalization about the access to illegal drugs in the vast majority of Japan. It is just not something that you come across. And whenever I talk to anybody about um, why I choose to to raise children in Japan as opposed to going home to America to raise kids, whenever I talk to Japanese people about this, I always talk about chian no yosa, which is uh, the safety, the, the, the safety of an area. And they immediately assume I'm talking about gun violence or about crime, and that's a big factor too. But for me, just living here, being in the entertainment industry, being incredibly social, going to drinking parties, and going to kind of like all of the the TV people or the entertainment people parties in Fukuoka, some in Tokyo for years and years and years, and just not coming across drugs, not being offered drugs, not getting involved with drugs. I know that Everybody in the entertainment industry in in Tokyo does them. But in terms of the average person, the laws are so strict, access is so limited that I don't have to worry nearly as much about, you know, my children growing up and getting addicted to drugs, which is a big deal for me because I'm from Florida and like, four or five out of ten of my friends growing up in like high school ended up addicted to drugs florida might be like particularly bad or i might just be like a really effective dealer but it was an issue it was, yeah. it was a problem and i think about like going home and having to worry about the possibility of my kids facing addiction
1: right well yeah so yeah it was, let's be very clear there absolutely are drugs in japan and yeah. you know i, I was surprised particularly with how vicious the sentences are if you're caught with even something like marijuana you know i i've i've been to parties in fukuoka where it's it's been there but it's been on yeah. a real hush hush you know like with two or three locked doors and you know one spliff that's been shared between 20 people i never part i never partook
0: one spliff the size of like a lollipop stick like yeah, whatever yeah, the yeah, rules yeah. are doing it's it's like the it's thinness of a lollipop stick people have such a hard time getting their hands on it yeah that what they do have is so small and according to what i have heard such poor quality
1: right so what actually you're explaining is uh japan is making with their drug laws people more grateful <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there was there was a rash in fukuoka of uh people attempting to import people attempting to smuggle in like thc like right. liquid thc for a little while and i think they, they had like a couple of big cases in succession one american guy who i think used to come to our shows got deported for it
1: mm, yeah yeah yeah. well d- d- wasn't he a bit daft because he got something posted to his
0: address i don't know I, 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 I don't remember I yeah
1: anyway all right so no drugs you're saying no drugs is a good thing largely because you're thinking about your children and because you're not tempted. Although, if we had to also just, you know, temper that, you know, that, uh, that praise, alcohol is a drug and it's so abundant uh, and it's so prevalent that, you know, Japan might as well, (laughs) might as well legalize all other drugs because it's, you know,
0: I actually think alcoholism in Japan would be good fodder for a uh, another YouTube video from the Japan by River Cruise people. Um, oh, yeah, those guys, the ones with the dodgy yeah. green screen. Yeah, they'll have a better green screen next time. Okay,
1: cool. Uh, the country values education and skills that aren't purely academic. So, Go this on. Might, well, this might be my class that's talking, my, you know, my, my kind of UCAP ring, because I'm of the generation where... My parents were the first generation to have university degrees, so their parents didn't. Although, you know, thinking about it, I'm sure if they had the opportunities, they might have been bright enough, my grandparents, I'm sure they would be their very smart people, but they never got that opportunity. So my parents were the first to go to, to university, and then it was kind of expected of me that I'd go to university and have a university education. And when I think about, say, the, uh, the host family that I stayed with, uh, we're talking over 10 years ago now, um, basically, a middle-class family. The guy uh, owned his own used uh, new business in import and export in, in Kobe. He was like bringing. He was like responsible responsible for coordinating containers, earning loads of money. Middle-class existence. Sent his kids to to a private school. Um, when his son said he wanted to drop out of school and uh, get into biking like there was no there was no sense that he was like letting the family down or that he was wasting the opportunity of getting more of an education there was a sense that well there's value in that there's value in in everything and and obviously that's just one example but i can think of lots of other instances where i've had discussions with with Japanese people about their children or with people about their brothers or sisters. And there's never been any, oh, it's a shame they're not going to go to university. But rather, they're excited about the fact that they're learning a vocation or they're setting up their own business or doing something non-academic. And certainly compared to the UK, where I think there's a big overemphasis on academia. Now, it kind of worked for me because I got on with academia. Mm. So, Mm. like, the system benefited me. But for a lot of people, I see it doesn't. And what happens is, it's you're seen as kind of a second-class, you know, you've not achieved getting into academia, therefore you're doing something else. Whereas I think Japan might even be the reverse. That You know, those that are really well suited and motivated and are able to study for Tordai, they absolutely go and do that. But if you want to learn to be an esthetician or a beautician, or even if you want to work in an apparel shop, if that's something which motivates you and energizes you, Uh, Because the minimum wage in Japan is fairly high compared to other countries, you know, you could more or less support yourself doing most jobs. Mm. Uh, And I think that's something that, particularly as non-Japanese people, we don't really get exposed to because often non-Japanese people come into the country either as students or as professionals. Mm. Uh, But I think it's something that that we we should be praising Japan for.
0: I, yeah, I don't know how much of this I agree with. So what I'll try to do is articulate the points that I do agree with. Okay. Um, one, I think that the idea that that there's so much, um, there's such a prevalence of trade schools starting in high school. Like after middle school, you you split off and you go to an academic middle school or an ac- academic high school or uh, a trade high school where you learn a profession. Um, right. I think because that's so common, there is comparatively less of a stigma against people who don't go to university, right. um, people who don't have kind of like like a, an arts degree or, or a university degree. Um, I don't know how that translates into their career prospects and how comfortably they are financially, but I do also think that Japan places very, very high value on mastering skills. And yes. they don't have to be academics, not only mastering skills, but like athletic pursuits as well. So there yeah, or, is or high crafts, value. crafts or arts yeah, or, yeah. or anything yeah.
1: where you spend enough time, you get good at something.
0: Right, right. There, there's this appreciation of a dedication to either perfecting a craft or mastering a sport or learning an art or learning an instrument. And because of that, I think when someone is really pursuing their dream, there's a sense of community support for that. I don't know how often that translates into parental support, especially among certain classes of like being okay with your kid, not going on to be a doctor or a lawyer or or a high paid company employee or whatever. Mm. But I do agree that compared to the West, there's less of a stigma against not pursuing secondary academic education and more of an appreciation for people doing a wider variety of jobs, as long as they do it with kind of like that very Japanese dedication to doing it.
1: Yeah, and I know this is said a lot, but I remember when I did my exchange in a Japanese high school when I was 17, my teacher saying, "Uh, can you notice a difference between our school bus drivers and these bus drivers? And the difference is our school bus drivers didn't wear a uniform, they were kind of there on like they'd come in for two hours a day and do the bus driving, whereas the bus drivers in Japan it was they were salaried employees by the school. Uh, mm. They they spent all the time that they weren't driving polishing their bus, uh, you know, making sure that everything was immaculate, uh, wearing gloves, white gloves, you know, uh, like they were like a chauffeur. And you know that that's obviously a, a product of Japan's economy being able to sustain th- this this kind of labour, right? Uh, but there is also that sense that. It's like a bus driver is only not an important job if we decide it's not an important job, and right. Japan Japan doesn't seem to. I mean, obviously, there's obviously a hierarchy, right? We're not, we're not. I'm not being ignorant.
0: There's a yeah, there's a salary hierarchy as well. Yeah, but but yeah. but
1: you know, a bus driver is an important job, and bus drivers, crucially, bus drivers think that their job is important, right? And, and because people respect the bus driver and are grateful for the, for the fact they keep their bus clean uh, and you know they, they, they're a full-time salaried employee, so there's a certain job security uh, and there's a certain consistency, that it creates this virtuous cycle of, of them being part of the community.
0: Speaking of things that are, are maybe not universally great in Japan, but comparatively much, much better, uh, working conditions are comparatively much less exploitative. Like there is no there is no japanese jeff bezos on the scale of jeff bezos that like you know you hear those insane figures about like the ceo of a company makes what the lowest paying employee Ooh. makes in 35 years in one minute or something like that right those percentages are way lower they're still pretty bad but yeah. they're way way lower in japan
1: yeah i mean obviously yeah, there is there's still a wage gap problem in japan but you're right it's partly because the minimum wage is high um, and like, I, I think, yeah, I mean, look, there isn't a Bezos, right? But, I mean, J- Japan could accommodate a Bezos, right? There's no law saying there couldn't be a Bezos.
0: Well, the Zozo Town guy, what's his name? Mayama. Mm. The guy who's going to space.
1: Yeah, and uh, the SoftBank guy. Although well, I think he's Korean, isn't he? But he's a Japanese company. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, like, there's, there's insanely, insanely wealthy people. But, and also, like, let's be clear, there are there's a lot of exploitation going on. Right with uh, foreign workers and the and certain younger salaried employees for certain big companies. So like yeah, let's not be completely rose-tinted, but I think generally there are certainly compared to the UK, there isn't that movement towards zero hours contracts. Like one of the successful delivery services in Japan that competes with Uber Eats puts all of their delivery drivers on a full time salary. So they're not huh. paid. They're not paid per job. They're you know they're paid a wage. And their uh, equipment that they use for deliveries is provided by the company, mm-hmm. and that's that's that was seen as like an ethical decision by the company. You know, we want to make this business model work rather than just right. wholesale copy the the Silicon Valley ideal, which is to dress up labor exploitation as technological innovation. Just because mm-hmm. you're, you're you're summoning these slaves uh, th- through an app, so yeah, you know, I think it's it's very hard to make generalizations, isn't it? But I don't think. Um, I think japan's labor laws are strong that's certainly Mm. true you know you you are generally more protected as a worker aren't you uh against um against being fired
0: yeah so i've really enjoyed this conversation i found it much more difficult than i expected it to be and i think we're probably going to get a lot more response to this conversation than we get to some of our our more (laughs) news focused conversations more complaints I think we are about to discover the reason why all J vloggers make their videos about convenience stores and vending machines.
1: In that case, can I do my final one then? Yeah, yeah. Family Chicky. Hey, thanks very much for listening to this—the special episode. 97 of japan by river cruise
0: here's to 97 more
1: um if you are a subscriber thank you if you are a brian who is a monthly member a special thank you if you're neither of those things we warmly invite you to join us before our next milestone episode you know which number that is
0: uh, we don't <laughs> should we mention that we do this because every time we have an actual milestone like 50 or 100 we either forget it and miss it or don't leave time to prepare ourselves yeah definitely. to do anything for it
1: so we're making our own milestones who says that you need to have milestones in base 10 yeah Bobby, our listeners might be interested to know which guests I'll be rudely interrupting them in the next few weeks.
0: I sincerely hope that you will not be interrupting uh, Hiromu Nagahara, who's going to be talking to us about the importance of English in Japan's pre-war elite and comparing it to the existence uh, and the role that English plays in Japan today. We're going to be talking to Meg Vadva about Japan's Indian community, and we're going to be talking to Selena Hoy, the director at Tell, about uh, the step-up challenge in Japan's English-language suicide prevention awareness efforts. All that coming up, plus our uh, ceaseless, dedicated River Cruise Industry reporting. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.
1: Thanks, guys.